And I'm going to have you turn with me uh, this morning. We're going to start out in the book of Hebrews. So if you'll go ahead and get there in Hebrews in chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> By the way, while you're turning there, I'd just like to mention that uh, my mom... Uh, you know, she really was hoping to be here this morning. That was her plans. Uh, in the last couple of days, she started having stomach issues going on, and, and her stomach was hurting a little bit and stuff. So uh, she called me this morning, said, I didn't get to sleep till 3 o'clock this morning. She said, I just don't know that it would be safe for me to get around people today. So anyway, she wanted to send her love and let you know she's sorry she couldn't be here this morning, though it was her plans all the way up until... Uh, this morning uh, that she's planning on coming. So just to let you know that. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at some verses here in this passage, I believe, are going to be, and we're going to look at several passages today about some things that are really important. Now, before we dig into this verse, this passage, I want to take a moment to say that in the Old Testament days, there was a hierarchy of processes that God had created and God had put a human being that stood on behalf of a tribe or a people and he was the one who would go before God on the behalf of the people and they were known as what can you tell me what were they what was their position a what do what okay good they were a priest, all right? And so as a priest, they would do the function of the religious duties. They would do the function of standing on the behalf of their tribe or their people before God. And they were kind of the in-between person between God and man at that time. And God had priests. He had high priests. And the high priest then would even go and would make sacrifices for the tribe that they represented for the sins of the people. So, for instance, in the Old Testament day, they had the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is a huge tent. And I've been told that the curtain that hung on the outside of that tent was nine inches thick. Can you imagine a curtain that's nine inches thick? That's a thick curtain. That's a, I mean, that's a thick curtain, right? Now, you might say, why is that important? Well, because at the end of the day, uh, one of the things we have to remember is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the tent, the tabernacle, tore from top to bottom and ripped that thing open, all right? Now, we'll get into that a little bit more in how this all works. But anyway, there was the, there was the temple or the, the tabernacle uh, that, was, that was erected and put up and then there was, the, uh, there was the courtyard, and in the courtyard there was then an, uh, there was an, uh, an altar that was there. And in, on that altar, that brazen altar, the people's offerings that they would bring to the high priest for their sin, the priest would take that animal and would slit its throat and catch the blood of that animal... And you might say, that sounds grotesque, that's horrible. Why would, that, why would God expect any of that? Because life is in the blood. And only by blood is there the forgiveness of sin or the, or the covering of sin. 
And so the priest would take that out of the instruction of what God told them to do, and he would slit the throat of that lamb, and they would catch the blood, and then they would hold that blood, they would take the lamb and put it on that brazen altar, and they would offer that up then on that brazen altar unto God. It was an offering given to God. Listen to me for a moment, think about that. All right, even though there's a lot of Old Testament things here, you may say, how does that apply to me? Think about the things that come in common, all right? Blood, that's important. Offering, they offered their offering to the Lord. Listen, on Sunday mornings, we receive tithes and offerings. It is a sacrifice. We still today make a lot of those same sacrifices. They just have a different face on them, and there's a reason for that. And so the people would bring their offering to the Lord for the forgiveness. Now their reason was for the forgiveness of sin. And the blood would be uh, drained from the, the lamb and held in a cup. And then that, that lamb or that sheep would be put on the altar and, and offered up as a sacrifice to the Lord. Then the high priest would take that blood and would carry it in then into a next area and ultimately into the Holy of Holies. Now, just to give you an idea of the severity of that place, nobody was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies other than the high priest. And even a high priest went in with great trepidation because if they went in and they had sin in their life or, or what that was unconfessed before God... God would strike them dead as soon as they walked into the Holy of Holies. So what they would do is they would tie a rope around the leg of the high priest. The priest had bells, little bells that were attached to his robe. And he would go into the Holy of Holies with that blood. And he would sprinkle the blood there on the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Now, keeping in mind the visual, the Ark of the Covenant was a box, and it had two angels that were built on top of it, and their wings connected at the top. And in the center of where those two angels were, the presence of God would hover there. This represented what happens in heaven. In other words, in heaven, God sits on his throne, and he has two archangels, one on each side, who are covering his throne in a symbolic way of protecting the throne of God. And so God had them build this Ark of the Covenant that represented the very element of what heaven looks like. This is what it was like there, and it was created for that purpose. And therefore, they would take the blood and sprinkle it on the altar, on the Ark of the Covenant, rather. Now, what you have to understand is this. That when the high priest would go into the Ark of the Covenant, there was a, there was a cloud that would, like a, like a huge beam, like you, you remember when 9-11 uh, happened after that, they put two beams of light that represented the, uh, the towers, you remember that? Okay, S picture that in your mind. From the Ark of the Covenant, there was this beam that shot up to God, and that was called the Shekinah glory. And the Shekinah glory would come down, and there on the Ark of the Covenant, when the high priest would come in, he would put the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, and here's what would happen. If 
the people's sins were forgiven, then the Shekinah glory that was coming from, the, from heaven to the Ark of the Covenant and the smoke that rose up from the altar out in the courtyard would then come together. And if those two things came together, the people knew their sins had been forgiven by God. Isn't that awesome? That's so amazing to think about all that. See, because today, you know what we do? We'd excuse that away. Oh, I didn't do that because, you know, the eastern wind, the northern wind, and somehow mother nature, like there's a mother nature. Give me a break. There's a God that's in control of all things. And he's not a mother, he's a God. He's our heavenly father. And he's the one that's in control of the weather and everything else. And therefore, there's no excuses that can be made when God takes the simplistic things and he makes them come to life and helps us to see. You know, sometimes God uses the simplest things to speak to us and to talk to us. Unfortunately, there are some of you that are so skeptical that you 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 excuse away everything that happens in your life as one thing somebody's fault i can't believe they treated me that way i can't believe this i can't i can't believe that uh, this sickness fell on this person i can't believe that my finances are where they're at i can't believe all these things and at the end of the day maybe god is using an opportunity to speak to you matter of fact I'm about 99% certain that he wants to take, I'm going to rephrase that. I'm 100% certain he wants to take everything that happens in your life to speak to you, to point you to him. Everything. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose. All things, without exception, And so we find that the high priest would go in on the behalf of the people and perform his his priestly duties before God and before the people. To go to God and offer up offerings and sacrifices for the sins of the people. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 21. And here in Hebrews, uh, let me get there myself. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And verse number 21 says, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting. Am I, let me make sure that I am on 22. Thank you. I just want to get in the right spot. That's all I want to do. Let me get there. Hebrews, all right, well, that's where I want to be. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21 is what I meant to say. And since we have a great what? Okay, well, you missed something. A great what? High priest. He is a great high priest. All right, now again, I I have a feeling the version you're on, ESV, probably says great priest, right? Okay. He's a great priest. He is a great high priest. Yep, there we are. He is a great priest. He is a great high priest who rules over God's house. Now, here's what I want you to understand. That Jesus Christ... He came and became the great high priest. In other words, Jesus Christ took the place of, 
humanly earthly priest who stood in between God and man and stood there in behalf of man in the presence of God, Jesus became that priest for you and for me. Now listen, here's what happened. So in Jesus' death on the cross, his blood was shed. The scripture once again says, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. His blood was shed on the cross. I believe that Jesus collected his blood in the process. I don't believe he physically had a cup that came up and collected his blood. But he collected his blood and in his death, when they laid his body in the tomb, I believe that Jesus went in to the Holy of Holies on your behalf and mine and sprinkled his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, the great high priest. Now, I want you to take a look at this with me, if you would. Here, and I am going to do this. And we're going to see here in... Now, I want to take a look, uh, if I can, for just a moment. We're going to look at um, Romans chapter... Or no, we're still in Hebrews. I'm sorry. We're going to stay in Hebrews and I'm going to roll to Romans in a minute. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse number 19 and following. Because now I'm going to paint a whole picture. Because what I have done is I've dug out this one verse for you to see that Jesus is our high priest. But now let me put context around all that. It says in verse number uh, 19, and I would even go as far as to say, in verse number I know I don't have this on the screen for you to do this, but I'm just going to read them to you. I'm going to let you listen to this, because otherwise you've got a lot of verses to hear and listen to. But it says in verse number 14 and following, it says, For by a single offering he is perfected for all times those who have been sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bared witness to us, for after saying... This is the covenant that I've made with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their heart and write them on their minds. Then he added, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Look at it now. Here's where we're going to start in at it. Oh, on verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for Sin. Now, look at the next verse. This is what I want you to see. Verse 19. Therefore. Why is that word therefore? Because of what it just said. Listen to what it's saying now. Therefore, because of what I just said, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, in other words, his flesh was broken open. In other words, we have entrance to God. He is the living tabernacle that was broke open for us to enter in to God through Jesus. And so it says, by the living, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh... And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope or the confession of our faith without wavering. For he who promised is what? Faithful. Isn't that awesome? He is faithful. When you are not, he is faithful. Have there ever been times where you felt like, man, I just mess up so much. Is No matter how hard I try, I feel like I take one step forward and two steps backwards. Anybody else with me on this? All right, well, you guys are in a small car together with me, all right? The rest of you, you're just trucking. One step forward, two steps back. One step forward. That's how it feels like in my life. And I think, God doesn't want to have any more to do with me. He doesn't want to use me. He doesn't want... Uh, why would He ever? Because of my sin, because of my uh, displeasure. I don't even have the, the means by which to look at myself and go, Oh yeah, I really like you. I don't. Why would God like me? And yet it goes on to say in this passage that there has been the forgiveness of sin, there is no longer any offering for sin, and the reason is, is because that we have been set free from our sin. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, our faith, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, you know what, I can't help but stop and think of that verse in 1 John 1, 9. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. So with that thought, it goes on to say, And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I just want you to understand here this morning that Jesus is not only our great high priest, but also the scripture tells us here that we are priests with access to the holy place by the blood of Jesus. No longer do we need someone else to stand on our behalf between us and God. We have open access to God himself. Do you realize that's what separates the practice of what I call, and I hate to use the term, but religion that we practice as opposed to a lot of other religions in the world is that a lot of other religions of the world you have to go through a human being to get to whatever god you're going after that's one of the defining differences between biblical christianity is that god has made access for you and for me to the very presence the holy place of god So why do we come to church? Why do we have a, a preacher, a pastor? Well, I would say this. Because one, Jesus laid down his life on the cross for the church. It is a new movement that he created. 
from Old Testament days to New Testament days. It is a movement that is, it's a new movement that God created that it was inclusive to all, everybody, who come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. They become a part of that new movement, the church. It is a collection of God's people. It is known as, in Scripture, the very body of Christ on earth. Did you know that? I want to ask you a question. How many of you brought every single piece of your body with you today? Did anybody leave their finger at home? Your head? You might have felt like you left your head, right? If it weren't attached, you probably would, right? Some of you, right? You've made that comment many a times, or your spouse said it for you. If it weren't for the fact your head was attached, you'd forget your head, all right? I think we can all feel like there's times where we're not all there, but really, regardless, if you look in the mirror, we're all there. Right? Listen to me for a moment. When you don't come to church, you're leaving a part of the body out. Think about that for a moment. You have a responsibility by God to collect together as a body of believers. And God says not to forsake that as there are some who do. Don't neglect getting together as a body of believers because we are a body of people. And that's really important for us to know and to understand. So, if we're priests, why church? Why have a pastor? All right. First of all, as I said, church, because God said so. It's his body. We are to gather together in order that together we can worship the Lord. We can be more collectively than we could ever be individually. Do you know that? We're stronger together. We're united together. We're more powerful together. The Bible says that the church can storm the gates of hell and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. You go live life by yourself as a believer. You hermic away. You think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm the church and I'll just have my own little service right here and blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to tell you, don't try storm the, hell, uh, the gates of hell by yourself. I'm telling you, God does not promise you that you individually will be able to storm the gates of hell and that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against you. But he does make that promise to the church. That's the body of God's believers. The church is not the brick and mortar. The church is the people. And as we pull together as a people, as we unite together, great things can happen. And so, therefore, why do we have a pastor? Because the Bible says that God chooses pastors from his own heart to lead and to equip those that are priests in order that each priest can do their priestly duty. Do you know that? It's not my job to do your job. I stand as a representative, but my position is not to stand on your behalf before God. That's not my position. It's my position to stand on behalf of myself before God. And it is your position to stand on your behalf before God. And every man, the scripture says, will give an account of himself before God on that day. 
every individual will give an account of their own self. Because we're all priests. What, listen, I believe this is a life change. This is a paradigm shift if you can really get a hold of this. Because if you come to church with the attitude, well, I need to go to church. I know the preacher says I ought to be there. And I know I don't want to disappoint the preacher. And, and I know he expects to see me there. And, and, and somehow or another, the preacher is in between you and God. There's a problem. You should come to church because it is a disappointment to God who tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We as priests have a responsibility before God to do what God says and he gives us preachers to remind us of what we need to be doing. That's all I'm here to do. I'm here to remind you of what you need to be doing and to do what I can to help equip you to be that priestly person that to do your priestly service before God therefore if you want to understand what the priestly duty is before God you just need to understand it is to bring worship and honor and glory to God not only with your lips not only with attending church but with the choice of thoughts you allow to have come through your heart and your mind it's the decisions you make with your life all these things are required of you as a priest. I think sometimes we think, oh, you know, I expect that of the preacher. Did you know that God does not expect any more out of the preacher than he expects out of you? And he doesn't expect any more out of you than he expects out of the preacher. Did you know that? And we're all broken people. But the beautiful thing is, is we serve an unbreakable God. And so as broken people, we can go to Him and we can find our, our Humpty Dumpty being put back together again. Because of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But you have access to God. So when you are given whatever God gives you in life, God expects you as a priest to take what you have been given and then to take a portion of that as an offering to God. Because that's your job as a priest, your responsibility. And it's not for the forgiveness of your sin. It is for the rejoicing of your salvation. It's not a matter that we have to be forgiven for our sin once again because the Bible says that Jesus died once unto sin. Uh, once on the cross and he died once for our sin. And so as the passage read there. Where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin. Because God's already made the offering through his son Jesus Christ. So as high priest we have a responsibility to bring our heart of an offering to the Lord. And it is inclusive to more than just your finances. It's inclusive to your time. It's inclusive to your, to your recognition of praise. And all, you know, we praise things. Oh man, I love my car. I got the best car. 
I'm just saying that's what you might be saying. Or, man, I love my wife and my family and yada, yada, yada. And we praise and we, and some of you even put these things on pedestals and you worship them like a god. You know how I know that? Because the things that we pour our time, energy, and money and resources into are the things we worship. Did you know that? That's why the scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I'm never going to hesitate as a pastor to say, you ought to bring your offering, your tithes and offerings to the Lord's house and give it to the Lord because, and here's the reason, not because a preacher wants your money, I want your heart in this ministry. I want you to be fully in. And some of you aren't fully in. Some of you are not giving. And again, I'm not saying that because I know who or who doesn't give. I just know human nature. And I also know that the statistics show that only like 3% of God's people actually tithe their income to the Lord. So guess what? Only 3% of God's people are really in. Their heart's not in it. Because it is a reflection of our heart. So the priest would go in and make the offering to the Lord, the sacrifice to the Lord. Even so, we bring our offering to the Lord, which a lot of times is a sacrifice because it's hard to let go of something that you've used to navigate life. And it's like, how would I do that? I can't afford that. Trust me, there's probably not a person in this room that could honestly say they can afford to tithe. I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford to tithe when we look at the big picture of all that we have going on. But I'm going to tell you what my dad said a long time ago. I can't afford not to tithe. When I'm faithful to the Lord, God is faithful to supply and to do for me what I can't do for myself. You look at the children of Israel. How many years were they in the wilderness? 40 years. You know how long that journey should have taken? Approximately seven days. Do you know that? That journey should have not taken more than seven days from point A to point B. Took them 40 years to get there. But you know what? As they followed God and complained at God, but followed God and complained at God and followed God, it was their complaint and lack of submissiveness to what God told them to do that caused them to have to die in the wilderness. I hope that you are not that person that at the end of your life you never get where God really wants you to be because of your resistance against what God says as a believer, a high priest, or as a priest that your service is to serve God and to bring to Him what's His and to trust Him and to rely on Him, knowing that you can't afford it, but at the same time you can't afford not to. The children of Israel walked for 40 years and their sandals lasted for 40 years. How many of you ever had your shoes to last more than a few years? I mean, like one pair of shoes. Now, I know some of you got a hundred pair of shoes in your closet, and so yes, your shoes last forever, but that's because you switch them out. But if you wore one pair of shoes, how many of you have a pair of shoes that would last much more than a couple years, right? At best, unless you sit around all the time. If you're up and moving around all the time, your shoes are not going to last a long, they're not going to last 40 years. And if they do, I would love to see it and know it. But that's what God does. 
God can take what little we may have left after giving of what we offer to the Lord, and he can then, the scripture says that he multiplies. And if you don't believe it, he gave us several examples of how he took just a, a young boy's lunch of two fish and five loaves of bread and made 12 basketfuls of food out of it. After feeding, theologians say somewhere around 18,000 people. The scripture says 5,000 men, but that doesn't include the women and children. When you include them, there was approximately 18,000 Jesus fed with a little boy's lunch, and then they handed him 12 baskets of food to take home with them in the process. God can take your little and make much of it, but you have to trust the Lord. Now, this is not, I use that as an example because it really hits home with all of us because when you talk about finances and our possessions and on bringing it to the Lord, all right? But it's not only about that, it's about our time. It's about our will. It's about our, it's about our courage because there's times we live in this comfortable place of, of courage that we do what we feel comfortable with doing. But then God says that we need to be his witnesses and we need to share the good news of Jesus with the lost and dying world. And we go, okay, now I'm starting to think about that's uncomfortable. That would be a real sacrifice, pastor. Listen to me. You are a priest. Make the sacrifice. That's your job. Your job is to be that priest before God. Make the sacrifices necessary that God calls you to. I think we are so caught in a world of comfortableness. I believe that God oftentimes has to take us down a road of anguish and baptize us in anguish before we ever get serious about something. And it's sad it's got to come to that. I know. I went through that deal with my, with my high blood pressure. And man, it's like I was baptized into anguish with all that. I'm just telling you, that hit me. If I talk about it much, I'll start crying. That hit me hard. And there were some changes that had to take place in my life. But I had to be baptized in anguish to get there to do it. Now we can go and humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord or God can humble us. And I've heard people pray the prayer, God, humble us. I say, Lord, help. I don't want God to have to humble me. I would rather do what his word says and to humble myself in the sight of the Lord. I shouldn't have to have God to humble me. We have to humble ourselves in the sight of God. We have to be willing as a priest to bring our offerings. And that offering is also an offering of courage. To step out of our comfort zone. To do what God's called us to do. As a high priest. To make those offerings. Those sacrifices. Preacher, if I go down and sit down on the curb with somebody that's a drunk and drinking and carrying on and or somebody that lives a wicked life, if I could even get around them, somebody's going to automatically associate me with them and think somehow or another that I'm wrapped up in that kind of lifestyle. Listen to me. 
You don't have to come in and make them your best bud. They shouldn't be. You show me a man's friends and I'll show you the man. You can be friendly to them, but you don't have to make them your friend in the regard that you're going to go where they go and do what they do. You can go and you can meet them where they're at and you can call them up to a different place. But at the end of the day, if somebody is going to look down on you because somehow or another you're making connection with somebody nobody likes. I mean, let me put it this way. If you had the opportunity, let's say we could reverse time somewhat, and Hitler, who was a man who killed a lot of people, if you had the opportunity to have access to go and to talk to Hitler, would you go and talk to him and tell him about Jesus? Now, it's easy to sit in our comfortable little pews and say, sure, I would, Pastor. I would have, you know, God opened that door. I, you know, the question is, would you really? One of the most despised men, hated by so many, and you could even put a different face on that. There may be somebody more relevant that you know that is just disregarded. And if you had an opportunity to go speak to them, would you do it? Or would you be afraid of what others might think about you as though maybe you might be joining their camp or being a part of what they believe in? Or would you just do what God has called you to do? To be the priest to go. Because that's your job. That's your duty. That's your responsibility as a believer. Look with me if you would at Romans. Romans chapter, uh, chapter 15. In Romans in chapter 15, in verse number 15... Romans chapter 15 and verse number 15 and 16. Look what it says. But on some point, I have written to you very boldly, by the way, a reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What I want you to see here is that Paul is an example to us of what it was when God called him to be a priest, to go before the Gentiles, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He is one of many examples of what that can look like. And lastly today, I want you to look with me if you would. In Revelation, in chapter 20, in verse number 6. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 6. Look what it says. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Who would that be? Church, that's us. We shared in the first resurrection. Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. You and I are part of that first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ. And they will reign with Him for a thousand years. Now we don't just become priests in that time of the thousand year reign. We are priests. And we go before God. 
We can go with confidence. We don't need a preacher, a pastor, a priest. We don't need anyone going on our behalf before God. God holds you accountable and responsible to go to Him yourself. And then you come to church, collect with the body of believers, bringing our offerings to the Lord, our sacrifices to the Lord, as we also bring our time, our energy, our efforts, our courage, all that we have, we bring. And then we are encouraged by a pastor who challenges us to do our priestly duties and to go and do them every day of the week. This is not just about coming to church on a Sunday and then patting yourself on the back and saying, well, I did my part. That's not what it's about. You see where the paradigm shift is? It's a whole different way of seeing it. If you see that you're a priest and I'm here to encourage you to do your priestly duties and I am here to do what I can to help equip you thus tonight, five o'clock, to equip you to better do your priestly duties, then you go and as a priest, you go and you serve and you do your part. You do what God's called you to do as a priest before God. We should never hurt here at this church for people getting involved in doing the work of the ministry because we have a, we have a, a good group of people, a good group of priests sitting right in front of me, right here, right now. And when all of us are doing our part to do what God has called us as priests to do, there should be no lack in the church in any way, whether it be financially or whether it be uh, in service and ministry, to, to ministering to children, to the nursery. You might say, but I would rather sit and listen to the preacher preach than have to hold a baby. You know what? Let me, let me put a face on that if I can. If our nursery isn't open and and a new family comes in, and they have babies. Jesus got on the disciples when they, when they held back the little children from going to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus don't have time for you. He's a busy man, got a lot going on. And Jesus said, forsake not the little children to come to me. Don't hold them back. In a sense, when we do not have something available for people to to bring their children to Jesus, we are refusing them to come to Jesus because we would rather ourselves sit at the feet of Jesus and listen when we might be able to find other creative ways that we can get fed and that we can listen online and that we can have Bible study and we can do things that we can get involved in and still be able to do the priestly things that we ought to be doing and that's serving and ministering. There's no reason that anything in this church should suffer for lack of priests who are willing to step up and answer the call to do what God's called them to do. And listen, not, not everybody is called to work with children. But you know who you are. If you love children, you know who you are. There's others who are <clears throat> not crafty with their hands. They're not builders and that. But yet there are some in here who are. And you're very crafty. And you're able to design and, and to build things and And do you know when they were doing the tabernacle, there's a certain tribe of people God used to do certain things? Some were musicians, and some 
we're singers. Not everybody's a musician and not everybody's a singer. I don't care what your mama might have told you. Doesn't mean you can sing, all of you. I'm just telling you, if you want to see what I'm talking about, watch a little bit of American Idol. You know what I'm talking about, all right? Or at least the old ones anyway. But my mama said I could sing. Your mama lied to you, <laughs> all right? Just saying, not everybody can sing, and that's okay. That's why God called a particular people to be those who played the instruments or those who sang and led the people around the walls of Jericho. They were out in the front forefront leading them along with the high priest. I don't know what your, what your sweet spot is, but God wants to use you in your sweet spot. And you might say, Pastor, I don't even know what my sweet spot is. Then I'll tell you how to find it volunteer to help in an area for two or three weeks and see if that's your sweet spot. And if it's not your sweet spot, that's okay. Go try something else out and see if that's your sweet spot. But when you hit it, you'll go, oh man, I love this. That's where I want you to serve. <laughs> I want you to serve where you love it because when you love it, everybody around you is going to love it too. We're priests called God we are priests with access to the holy places and here's how we have access don't forget this by the blood of Jesus not in and of yourself but by the blood of Jesus you remember how they would collect the blood go in the holy of holies when we go to service and ministry every day we ought to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus, we need to take the collective blood of Jesus he's given us and we need to walk into the Holy of Holies. We need to be doing our priestly duty and the blood is sharing the good news with a lost and dying world. Giving it out to all of them because that's our priestly duty. We are to be equipped and led to be and do our heavenly calling. Last week I told you new beginnings require new beliefs. I hope today I've helped you to have a paradigm shift in your heart and in your mind. A new belief about your purpose, your reason. Every head bowed, never eye closed.